to episode number three of Off the Shelf, a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. Joining me is my co-host, Brian Lynch, coming to us from the little Chicago of the South. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Rod. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Brian, last podcast, you asked me a bunch of questions, and now it's time to turn the tables and find out a bit about your journey. Before we start, I do want to remind everyone that the guest on our next podcast will be Pastor Jeff Jenkins from Lima, Ohio. So, Brian, how did you come into the message? Well, Rod, uh, my parents, uh, my dad got saved in a Baptist church when I was a young boy, and they then moved from the Baptist church into a Holiness Pentecostal church, and that Pentecostal minister started giving tapes of William Branham to my dad and uh, the closest church at the time was about two hours away Uh, we lived in Kentucky and the closest message church was in Murfreesboro Tennessee that was a Billy Andrews church and within a short time after dad started listening to William Branham's tapes we were traveling every week to Murfreesboro to um, the message church and uh, from that point I was raised in the church in Murfreesboro and uh, then moved to Johnson City, Tennessee in 2000 and attended Donnie Reagan's church there uh, right up until I left the message um, in August of 2012. I remember visiting Billy Andrews Church probably 25 years ago. Uh I sang in a quartet at the time and we went down to Murfreesboro after being invited by Pastor Andrews. I think it was over the U.S. Thanksgiving weekend. We met some wonderful wonderful people there, which I think included your dad at the time. It sure did. Uh, Dad was a huge fan of yours. was <laughs> but uh i didn't yeah, know i, I had any fans <laughs> oh for sure yeah we loved it when you guys came down the the quality of the music was uh was way above what we were accustomed to so that was that was uh that was great i love to worship and still do amen brian it's it's common for people that are still in the message to say of people that have left they never really believed the message Did you believe the message? Yes, Rod. Uh, My journey was quite a bit different than yours in that um, I really didn't accept it as as an adult thinking through it. I was raised in it, and naturally, uh, I believed what I was taught. Uh, I went to all the you know, the youth camps and went through the prayer lines and went to the altar at the altar calls. And, um, you know, I always had questions about the message and I never really understood it. I used to joke with my dad when I was in the message that it was a good thing I was raised in it because I would have never come to it on my own. (laughs) Now, looking back at that has a little bit different connotation than it did then. But, uh, you know, I would try to explain to friends at school when they would ask me about uh, my beliefs because we were in the brand of the message where, you know, you didn't celebrate Christmas or anything like that. So when we had uh, the parties at school for Christmas, uh, we were I was sitting in the hall. So obviously that leads to questions. So I, when I tried to explain it to my friends, uh, it was it was a little bit odd. I remember we used to do show and tell when we came back to school from Christmas break. And uh, so the kids would get up and talk about, you know, things they got for Christmas and what they're most excited about. Well, the fact of the matter is I got nothing for Christmas. So wow. <laughs> I, I would I would get up and literally lie. Just I would just make up whatever I wished I had for Christmas. And uh, 
and and make up stories about about what I had. Anyway, um, I always had a lot of internal turmoil about the message and things I would hear said in church that just didn't settle with me. Like, for instance, I remember hearing our pastor in Murfreesboro talking about um, uh, rape. He was talking about women walking down the street dressed indecently. And I I don't want to try to give a verbatim quote because with something that's serious, I would hate to get it, get it off. But he essentially said, um, these women that'll walk dressed like this, you know, and then they'll, they'll put a man in jail for, for raping her. And he said, uh, he just yells out, they ought to put her in jail. And, uh, you know, all of these otherwise intelligent, grown people screaming amen, even jumping to their feet. And I can remember as a young teenager just looking around me and thinking, that's the nuttiest thing I've ever heard. You know, but at the time I, I felt I felt deep conviction about that. Like, how dare you question the man of God, you know? Uh, and then there were other things like, you know, my dad wouldn't let me wear shorts and he would explain to me that, you know, that Brother Branham said they were a woman's undergarment. And then I would then challenge him and say, I'd like to know how my cargo shorts resemble anything that a woman wears <laughs> underneath. But, you know, there were, there were little things like that. So I, I thought too much for my own good. And I, I used to think that was a very bad thing. Um, so uh, long story short, I, I thought I believed it. I wondered why I never really uh, was a good message believer and always had lots of questions. So. Well, we should um, put on our list to uh, talk about Christmas and the message at some future date because I always enjoyed Christmas. I know that William Branham celebrated Christmas. Right. So I could never, you know, talking to, to Rebecca Smith about how her dad had celebrated Christmas, I couldn't understand how people who said they were followers of William Branham got so off the road as far as celebrating Christmas when he celebrated it, but they wanted to be more spiritual even than William Branham, who I had thought kind of set the standard. Right. So there's some really, really bizarre ways that people should celebrate Christmas or don't celebrate Christmas, which I always never could understand. Yeah. In Murfreesboro, every year they would pass around the, uh, first of all, the pastor would preach really hard against it and they would pass around their collection. And it was quite extensive, actually, a collection of quotes from William Branham where he just, you know, really condemns everything about Christmas. And then they would go so far as to say, uh, I don't care what he did. I'm only responsible to do what he said. I mean, is that crazy or what? Yeah, because he always had a Christmas tree. You know, it's just like, it's bizarre. Anyways, uh, that's for another podcast. Brian, what started your journey out of the message? Well, as I mentioned uh, in the last question, you know, I always had turmoil over uh, my questions about so many things in the message and how I I was never really a, uh, what you would call a toe the line message believer, right? I went to the church. I, I go get prayed for. I, I wanted to be a good message believer, but um, I, I just I felt like I had a rebellious spirit on me. And it led to me uh, over the years with, with, uh, with a lot of depression. And by the time, you know, like 2012, early 2012, I had come to the conclusion in my mind, you know, I guess I'm just I'm not bride. You know, whatever it 
it is that makes the the seed they call it you know the seed that you have inside of you that makes you bride apparently i do not have it and therefore i i need to i need to leave i need to go somewhere you know i love god i want to be a christian i want to go somewhere where i can um i can contribute in church and feel like that i'm helping and not hindering and um you know i'll just live on the outside of the city so to speak and uh, that was a depressing thought that i was not elect, but, you know, maybe if I was good to the people that were in the message and just, you know, help them as much as I can, that I would be okay. And that was thankfully a short time before I came across um, your site, the, the Believe the Sign site. And uh, that kind of flipped that whole idea on its head. So, Brian, do you remember your email to me, which I will never forget, and our subsequent phone call? I, re- I recall that you described your state as physically ill as you sat in front of your computer reading the contents of the Believe the Sign website. What was going through your mind at the time? Yeah, I, I'll certainly never forget that either. Um, I, overwhelming is the is the word that comes to mind. I I had a period of time there for a few weeks where I had insomnia. I had nausea. And keep in mind, this is coming from someone who admittedly was never like your perfect message believer. You know, this this died in the wool, hardcore message believer. I was I had a lot of questions. I wasn't afraid to ask them. But when I started looking at the evidence that was put out on uh, on Believe the Sign, uh, it didn't take long for for me to start to put the clues together and realize there was something really bad wrong. And and so I, I was just trying to process it. What does this mean? How can this be? This can't be true. And at first I kept resisting it. I, I kept thinking they're missing something. You know, they're approaching it the wrong way. They're, there's something they're missing. This this is a, you know, I'm giving in to a spirit of, you know, you know whatever. And I, I just, I just, there was so much cognitive dis which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot in the future, but I could not rectify everything that was going on. And, and as a result, I was physically ill. And that, that went on for a few weeks. Uh, and uh, we will talk about cognitive dissonance at a in a future podcast. But one of the symptoms of cognitive dissonance can be a person being physically ill. It can also include anger, anxiety, uh, I mean, a number of different symptoms that relate to your brain trying to process facts that don't agree with your worldview. But that's for another podcast. So, Brian, why did you leave the message and what events brought you up to that decision? Well, obviously, the you know, the research that I was doing and, and your site was just the beginning. I, from there, I, you know, I, I kind of followed the breadcrumbs. I went and looked for myself. I would read his, uh, the messages for myself. I would look at the historical evidence and then I would just, I wrote tons of notes. I would just think to myself and, and look at the vindications and, um, you know, GK Chesterton talks about, the best way to respect any religion is to treat it as one. And that is you, you ask, what are its claims? Uh, and then, 
if true, what are their consequences? And so, you know, looking back at it, that's basically what I did. I said, okay, starting from scratch, what is the message? What are its unique claims compared to all other, you know, Christian groups? And then are they true? And, you know, I I would say in a nutshell, the message claim is that God sent a prophet in the 20th century that was to uh, fulfill Malachi 4, 5, and 6 to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and vice versa and all that. And then all of the dressings that goes with that follow from there. And so I came to the conclusion after, you know, looking at it very sincerely was that was that it couldn't possibly be the case for a lot of reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, and so once I came to that conclusion, you know, I told my wife that why I was leaving and that I was leaving. And by mid-September 2012, I was in a new church. Oh, I wanted to mention uh, during the time that I was uh, really having like summer 2012 when I was coming up to getting ready to leave, there was an incident in which my, I believe it was my daughter, might have been one of my young sons, but I believe it was my daughter was in Sunday school at the Happy Valley Church in Johnson City. And when she came into the main sanctuary from Sunday school, you know, they hand you the papers that they've been working on. And this particular paper was like one you would do in grade school where you have a list of items on the left-hand side of the page and you draw a line to match it to its either definition or its description on the right-hand side of the page. And on the left-hand side of the page were all of these things related to, to William Branham's personal life, like the name of his, I don't remember specifically, but the name of his uncle or, you know, what co- kind of car uh, that he had and, uh, you know, and you, you had to, the kid had to draw the line to the corresponding fact that matched that description. And I was so outraged that that was the idolatry that my kids were being exposed to in Sunday school is that they were doing matching games with details from William Brown's personal life, that that was Sunday school. And I just remember being, I just, I was so frustrated that Stephanie had to calm me down. She was like, Brian, just, it'll be okay. Just calm. I thought that's just, that's utterly ridiculous. Anyway, that stands out in my head as something that happened right, right at the end. Well, and these things have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel, absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And I agree. It's blatant idolatry. Yes. I should mention for those people who don't know about the website, the Believe the Sign website, which you can find at Believe the Sign, all all one word, believethesign.com, has over 531 articles, basically in an, an encyclopedia of the life and message of William Branham. And we do have one page that lists all the issues, problems, and concerns that we have come across with respect to the message. And behind each one of them is a full-length article. As I said, we're now uh, over 530 articles on the website. Brian, what is the most profound thing you've come to realize since you've left the message? Oh, wow. 
<laughs> I could I could spend an hour on profound things, I, I think, and we'll have plenty of time to get to that later. But I guess if I had to boil it down to the most striking thing to me, it's that there are a number of things, be it comfort, convenience, familiarity, family, friends, pure stubbornness, etc., all that rate higher than truth for for apparently for many people when they're looking at the evidence with the message and you know this this shocked me after I, I went through my initial journey, and it still does, frankly. I, I get that it's tough. As I mentioned, I got physically ill. And for someone who, you know, maybe came to accept the message as an adult that led their family for years in it, I can imagine that would be even more so, or for a pastor, even more so. But in the end, how does how does someone claim to be elite Christian and and something being true or not true, not be important. I just, I cannot wrap my head around that. And that's the biggest thing for me, Rod. We've had people that I've have emailed us who have basically acknowledged that the message very well might be false. And the teachings of William Branham might very well not be in accordance with scripture, but leaving the message would result in them having to give up their friends. And that is a price that they aren't prepared to pay. Right. Very sad. It is sad. I, I would say, though, that I'm impressed with that level of awareness because uh, for many that I've that I've experienced, uh, that that may be the, the the reason that I perceive when looking at their situation on the outside, but they're not ready to even admit that that's the case. <laughs> I agree with you. In fact, we get most of the time anger, frustration, and people are just very, very upset and think we're attacking William Branham, which we're not. But we are looking very closely at his claims and we're looking very carefully at his biblical quote, revelation, unquote, which I've come to understand or believe now is just simply his opinion. Sure. So what's your current view of the message when you look at it now from the outside? Uh, I believe that the message is one of many uh, pseudo-Christian cults. I do. Uh, just as Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, it's an entire belief system that's built around the teachings and interpretations of one prophet. And all of those claim the Bible as their foundation. But uh, in reality, what they mean is the Bible as interpreted by their leader. In fact, in the case of Mormonism, I believe they will even say, as part of their actual tenets, that the, uh, the Bible as properly interpreted by Joseph Smith. Now, the message people will fight you to the nail that the Bible is the foundation. Take it back to the Bible, back to the Bible. What they actually mean is uh, exactly what the Mormons mean. The Bible as properly interpreted by William Branham. Um, John Piper says that uh, false teaching is anything that elevates other things, either a special person or a special revelation above the cross of Calvary, and that places artificial obstacles between the sinner and the saving grace of the gospel. And I, I cannot think of a better description of the message than, than that. We've had uh, people say, I've never put Brother Branham's teaching above the Bible. He told us that the Bible is our absolute, and that's what we believe. But I don't think they're really thinking about this in a very, uh, in a detached way. Because 
They may say they place the Bible above William Branham's teachings, but this is, in fact, not the case. I think the opposite's true. William Branham's message always trumps the Bible. Why? Right. Because they believe that William Branham was one of the greatest prophets of all time, if not the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly how great he was may vary between message believers, but at the very least, they will tell you that William Branham was one of the seven church age messengers, and therefore at least the, the equal of Paul the Apostle. In addition, they generally believe that his ministry as the seventh angel puts him in a league above all the other church age messengers. Yeah. And because he's the seventh church age messenger, the seventh angel, William Branham could not make any significant doctrinal errors because the purpose of his message was to reveal all of the hidden mysteries of God. And as a result of this, a message believer does not have the option of disagreeing with William Branham, except in some cases in respect of relatively few small issues. I was going to say, I find it odd that, you know, the the message model is to establish William Branham as an unassailable authority. And then everything else flows from that truth. Uh, Whereas the biblical model with Paul and those that were tasked with spreading the New Testament gospel, that was not their model. They were very open to the understanding that if you come in here and claim that this Jesus was the son of God and this is what happened, you know, you, you, you need to demonstrate how that works from scripture from historical fact and uh you know that's just that's absent in and the message that i see yeah exactly if you even could prove that william branham did make a significant error they will tell you that god corrected him before he died as a result of this it's led to the message doctrine of progressive revelation which basically states that if william branham taught a whole bunch of different things about a subject you should rely on his last teaching of the issue <laughs> yeah the problem with that is if you look at uh, if you laid out all the quotes in any particular subject <laughs> Many times, I would say most, but I, I don't know this to be fact. Uh, many times, uh, he w- it isn't linear. It isn't that he started with this one understanding and gradually you can see it change to this other, which would be what I would think progressive revelation is. He jumps back and forth, back and forth. Uh, you know, and that's not progressive revelation. Well, and, and, and they also believe that the only true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is believing the word for your hour, which means the teachings of William Branham. So if you believe that what William Branham taught, then you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And and they, they also tell you that the message is Jesus Christ, which basically in and of itself puts William Branham's message above the Bible. And then so if you present a clear teaching of the Bible that disagrees with William Branham, they're always going to accept William Branham's teaching and never that of the Bible. And they'll take the biblical passage and put it on the shelf, which we've talked about. So as a result of that, there is no question in my mind that William Branham's teachings are on par with the Bible and really are exalted above the Bible because William Branham's teachings always trump that of the Bible. Yes. So Brian, what's your view of those that are still in the message? Well, Rod, I believe that people um, should always especially those with, with with whom we have relationships, should always be treated with the utmost love, respect, grace, um, but that ideas have consequences and are subject to discernment and judgment. And I believe that not just about the message, but whether you're talking politics or someone who disagree with about anything. And 
and the people in the message, I have nothing but love for them. I care for them, love them deeply. I still have many friends uh, here locally and around the country that uh, are in the message. Uh, I interact with a good number of them. I can laugh with them, share a funny story, you know, rejoice in what we have in common. Um, I, I have zero issues with the people themselves. Uh, but, the, but, and in fact, I'm so non-confrontational that even doing something like this podcast is way out of my comfort zone because there's a price. Uh, the friends I have left on Facebook that are in the message, you know, there will be some that will unfriend me or write me off or stop communicating because, you know, they hear me say these things and it, it, it hurts them. It offends them. Well, that hurts me. I'm just a softie. You know, that hurts me. I hate that they feel that way. But at the same time, I am I am addressing an idea, a worldview, a, a religion in the message. And it just has nothing to do with the people that I love dearly, that uh, including my family that are in the message still. Uh, I think they're um, bound by fear. I think that fear is the weapon of choice Absolutely. in message ministry. Uh, if you can, if you can make someone afraid to look at the questions, then you don't have to, you don't have to lose people to the answers. You know, our traffic on our website goes up significantly every time somebody preaches against it. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Oh, and I I want to say make this distinction too. I, I said earlier that I think the that the message itself is a pseudo Christian cult. Um, you know, when it comes to the people themselves, I am not their judge, and I'm not here to judge anyone's salvation. And uh, I, ironically, I think the biblical requirements for salvation are far less demanding than those that, of the message. And so, anyone that's truly trusted in the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, as prescribed in the Bible, is a Christian message or not. Now, I think there are a lot of other things about the message that cause a Christian walk to get very convoluted and, and not as fruitful as it can be and and uh, very negative. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean that I don't think that you can be a Christian if you're still in the message. Um, as for um, William Brenham himself, you know, we're talking about separating the people from the idea. Uh, I know there's a lot of, we talked about this in, uh, when I interviewed you, but I know there's a lot of conversation about his motives. And, you know, I, I, I want to be frank. I don't know. And frankly, don't care. Uh, and let me explain. As for me and my family, his claims and his, you know, identity as an end time prophet uh, are demonstrably false. Yeah. And therefore, I, I have no need to determine what his motives were, whether he had some sort of mental illness or if he did or didn't have some great gift of healing or whether he was a charlatan or, a, you know, somewhat a man of God. I, I just those things are basically irrelevant to me once that I found out that his primary claims were false. I am not here to judge William Branham, the man, his salvation, his eternal destination. None of that. That's right. I agree with you. Finally, Brian, uh, wrapping up our interview for uh, this podcast, what does it mean to you to be a true follower of Jesus? Well, I heard a quote during my pastor's sermon a while back. I think he may have been quoting someone else, and I don't remember who the word originated, but he, he said the essence of the gospel isn't this do. Rather, it is this happened. And so what that means to me is that I trust that 
Jesus actually lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and was resurrected, as was told us in the Bible. I believe that actually happened. And so for me, for me, that trust, that's not only for my eternal salvation, but also that I, I believe that my life is most fruitful if it is spent in a constant awareness of that truth and in service to it. Um, so for me, that's it, that may be super duper simple, but I, I, I really think that's what it boils down to. I believe in the KISS principle. Keep it simple, saints. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. I think that our listeners now have a bit more of an understanding about you and about myself. And uh, I invite them to stay tuned. As I said, we're going to have Pastor Jeff Jenkins, former pastor of Believers Christian Fellowship in Lyme, Ohio, going to be with us on the podcast next week, and uh, trust that everybody will be listening in. Yes, I'm very excited for that as well. And if anyone in the meantime would like to send us an email, there is a link on our website at offtheshelf.life, or you can email Rod at rod at offtheshelf.life. And if you want to email me, you can reach me at Brian, that's B-R-Y-A-N, at offtheshelf.life. Uh, we're looking forward to connecting with all of you on our next podcast. Have a great week, everyone. I'm coming off the shelf.